Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you open them to the book of Titus. We'll be in Titus chapter 2 this morning. It's our second time in this passage. We'll be here one more week. Um, I'm spending, Lord willing, three weeks on this passage trying to unpack it for our good. So our text is Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It's good to see all of you this morning. It's good to be together as the body of Christ. So the word of God says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We need the Lord's help. Let's, let's pray again and ask Him for that. Father, you don't need my cleverness. Your people do not need my cleverness. I do not need my cleverness or ingenuity or wit. What your people need, what I need, is to know that Christ is mighty to save. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would move and drive home wonderful truths to our hearts this morning. That, that you would move because I know I cannot move people. It is your spirit that moves people. And your word. And so we pray together as a church that you would do that work here in our hearts this morning. I pray for every older man and every older woman in this room. Would you use this sermon to encourage and challenge and convict and also so that they might see the divine purpose of this season of life. And for the youngers in this room, Father, I pray that you would use this passage to help us see how you have made the church in all of its splendor with olders and youngers and everyone in between. Use this passage, I pray, to continue to shape this church for your glory and for the good of the nations so that the, the gospel may not be blasphemed. So I pray, Father, help us to today adorn the gospel of God our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. 
How do Christians wear the gospel as our clothing? I don't mean how do we dress for church. I know how we do that. I actually checked our website just this morning for the suggestions that were given for clothing. So this is from our website. It says, dress is personal, a personal preference and generally casual. You see everything from shorts and flip-flops to an occasional coat and tie. Polo shirts, jeans, they're the most common. However you feel comfortable, we welcome you to join us. I think that sounds about right. I mean, there's, I don't see any flip-flops. Do I? Probably some flip-flops here. Probably right. As far as clothing goes, like physical clothing, but how do we wear the gospel? Like, how do we dress? How do we adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. I think this passage answers that question, at least in part. This is how we were the gospel. It's an amazing thing when you think of it. All that the gospel does in the life of a person who has faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel, the amazing truth that, that God loved us and sent his son. That Jesus Christ lived a perfect life that he died a sufficient death on the cross in our place, and that he rose again from the dead, that amazing reality that changes everything in the heart and the life and the future of one who believes, how it changes the one who has faith in Christ alone. I pray, I pray that you are trusting in Jesus today. Because if you are, then God has done an amazing thing in you through Christ Here are many of them. When you turn to Christ, away from your sin, away from yourself, and you trusted in the Savior, you were given new life. Ephesians says that you were made alive, that you were dead, and then he made you alive. You were born again, in the words of Jesus. You were dead in your sins, and you are dead in your sins no longer. And in that moment, you were justified before God. You, were, you are a great sinner <laughs> with lots and lots of offenses against the holy God who knows all and sees all and judges every sin rightly, every sin in the universe rightly. And in a moment, in Christ, you were declared not guilty. If you're discouraged because of your past, Go read Romans 5 today. You were justified. And in the gospel, you were reconciled to God. You were estranged from him. You were his enemy, the Bible teaches us. But you were reconciled through Christ, brought back into a right relationship with God, made right with him. Now you're called friends of God. So Jesus said, he said, no longer do I call you servants, but friends. You were forgiven of your sins forever. I mean, just let that sink in. Forgiven. With analogies like as far as the east is from the west and in the deepest ocean. Sins are cast from you. Forgiven. Christ paid it all. And you were united to Christ in that moment. United in his death. United in his life. You were seated in the heavenly places in Christ. 
You have a new position before God in Christ. You became an heir of God in Christ. There's an inheritance. It's guaranteed. It doesn't perish. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't decrease in value. It's guaranteed for you. You were, according to 1 John, called a child of God through the work of Jesus Christ. You are literally now in the family of God. You were adopted. You now have the spirit of adoption as sons, as Romans 8 teaches us, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You became part of the body of Christ, the church. You were given a new spiritual family. Look around you, friends. You're part of a new family. And you're given a new heart. How is it that you say it here at Faith so well? You underwent heart transplant surgery. Your natural heart of stone was taken out. And your heart of flesh, God gave you a heart of flesh and it was put in by Christ. And you were indwelt by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. If you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you now. That's why he calls your body the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's at work in you. He will finish that work in you, the Spirit. Isn't all of that amazing? There's just 14 things. There's lots more. I just took them from the Bible a few days ago as I was putting this together. This is the work of the gospel in you if you are genuinely a Christian, if your faith is in Christ alone. And if it's not, friend, oh, I hope you would, you would want this. Trust in Christ today. Oh, believer, we have great reason to rejoice this morning. In Christ, we are regenerated, reconciled, redeemed, justified, forgiven, united to Christ, united to the body of Christ, given a new family, a new heart, everlasting life, God's presence forever. God is good. When we take the Lord's Supper today, our hearts should leap for joy at the work of God in Christ in us. But how do we wear that? How do we wear those glorious realities? Like, like, we, like I'm wearing this suit jacket. How do, we, how do we do that? How do we wear it? How do we, how do we adorn ourselves in a way that accords with healthy teaching? How do we wear it? I have a special high-tech dresser at home. I have to tell you about it. I'm into gadgets, and I have this high-tech dresser. It's amazing. It's amazing. Every time I open my dresser, my sock drawer, it's full to the brim with socks. If I take socks out of it, the next day I pull the drawer out, still full. Amazing. It refills itself with socks. I don't know how it does it. I never see it. It's always there. Always socks in that drawer. For whatever reason, it doesn't work as well when my wife is away. From time to time, my wife goes on trips. Last year, she went on a trip, and the weirdest thing happened. The sock, the sock drawer just stopped working. I took socks out. The next morning, there were less socks. I almost went completely empty. It ceased refilling itself. Less and less, it almost was all gone. But thankfully, she returned. She must have figured out what was wrong with it, because then it started working normally again. All that to say that I'm very blessed. I enjoy clothing. That is provided to me graciously by another. That's a kindness shown to me. I'm thankful. 
And that is exactly what we're talking about this morning. Your new adornment provided for you by another. Provided by God's work in your life through the work of Jesus Christ. You have new clothing to wear. And you did nothing to get them, but you are urged in this passage to wear them. You are urged to wear the gospel. This passage, Titus 2, 1 through 10, talks about the gospel duds. I almost called this sermon gospel duds, but I didn't. Maturity won out. But gospel duds for every demographic in the church. Our new gospel adornment. I'm using that language, the language of clothing, and I'm kind of using this like language. I pull that from verse 10. When Paul says, so that in everything they may adorn, that means wear, like clothing, the doctrine of God our Savior. So today we're considering the gospel duds of older men and older women in the church. Next week, Lord willing, we'll consider the adornment of young women and young men and even bond servants, the entire church. How we dress for church. How we dress as the church. One thing I love about this passage is that it makes it so clear that the church is multi-generational and that that is a very good thing. You know, it's a very good thing that we're not just a 30-somethings church or 20-somethings or 40-somethings or that we're not just a 60-somethings church. We're multi-generational and that is a very, very good thing. It's how the church ought to be. The church is made up of people who are very young and very old and every age in between. And Paul has a word for each demographic in the church. The clothing that you should wear. I, I like the language of clothing because you can see clothing. You, you can't necessarily see the forgiveness of sins. Like the spiritual reality of the, spirit, of, of the forgiveness of sins. Or one's union with Christ or justification. But you can see the new clothing that he wears as a result of that, those realities. You can see those realities lived out as they are worn by a believer. So Paul is teaching us what living out the gospel looks like in the life of the church. What it looks like to wear the doctrine of God our Savior. So as we press into this, I want us to consider this. And I, I pray that we would resolve to wear these clothes. So he begins with older men. It might surprise you to know, it was surprising to me, and maybe a, a tiny bit discouraging, that the term older men could refer to any man who is over 40. And as a man who is approaching 40, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it simply means a mature man. So if you're in your 40s or 50s or on up, this is how you dress if you are in Christ. This is the adornment. It's consonant with the doctrine of God our Savior. Note that he basically has two sets of threes in verse 2. Sober-minded, dignified, and self-control. That's one set. And then sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in steadfastness. That's the other set. Let's just take those three sets one at a time. There's two sets of three one at a time. A lot of numbers. We can think of the first three things like a sandwich, and forgive me for mixing my metaphors here, uh, clothing, now food, but the top slice of bread and the bottom slice are very related, those three sets. Sober-mindedness means not swayed by the influence of things he shouldn't be swayed by. Being sober means not being under the influence, right? We, we use the word in our parlance to mean not under the influence of drugs or alcohol. If one is intoxicated, then alcohol or whatever he is intoxicated by influences his faculties. 
we say he's driving under the influence, driving influenced under the sway of alcohol. If he's sober, he's not under those influences. In the same way, being sober-minded means not being unduly influenced by things he shouldn't be, things like passions or impulses or lusts or emotions. Similarly, the bottom slice of bread is self-control. He's not to be controlled by his whims or his passions. His appetites must not be driving him. That's the point. His appetites must not be driving him. He practices self-control. Now, let's think about that for a moment. Self-control. Is self-control an item of clothing that is specific to Christians? I, lots of athletes, for example, are self-controlled, Right? A lot of them are not Christians, but they're self-controlled. What's the difference between the way someone like Michael Phelps, I don't know if he was a Christian or not, but he was an athlete, a good athlete, a swimmer. What's the difference between the way Michael Phelps practiced self-control as a swimmer and the way older men are to practice self-control as Christians? I think it comes down to two things. I think it comes down to means and motive. Athletes are self-controlled because they want to win a race, so motive first. So instead of following their bodily desires to eat French fries and cheesecake and laze around and play video games. They push themselves, right? That's what athletes do. They train rigorously. And they're motivated because they, are, they desire to win the race. They desire to have glory. They want to win. Christians also want to win a race, though, don't they? But not one that's on a track, not one that's in a pool. Their motive is to give God glory. And so we run as to win, to use Paul's language elsewhere. But our desire is to win the an imperishable wreath. And glorify not ourselves, but God who has saved us. So instead of following our bodily desires for sinful things, we practice discipline and deny ourselves. We, are, we, we have a different motive. We are motivated by glorifying God. And we have different means. The successful athlete practices self-discipline by drawing off of his physical strength. Christians strive to be self-disciplined while relying on God's strength through his spirit. We have a high-tech dresser, as it were. God has provided clothing for us to wear. It's all from him. You know, the Galatians 5 teaches us that self-control is a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit Gives us enabling power to die to self and to live to Christ. And he uses means, right? He uses means. The Spirit uses means in our lives to bring about self-control. I, if, one of the ways that God uses, like teaches me self-control is by other Christians. Being around other Christians who encourage me. The church is his means. Normal doctrines of grace, like normal disciplines of grace. Like reading my Bible in the morning. Praying. Ordinary things. But ultimately, it is the Spirit's enabling power that is the means for godly self-control. And older men are called to that. So the top slice is sober-mindedness. The bottom slice is Spirit-enabled self-control. And the meat of this is that they are dignified or they are honorable or they are worthy of respect. They are not silly. Just being old... Just being old does not make you honorable. Lots of old men are foolish or silly. But the gospel at work in an old man leads to living in such a way as to bring honor to God and to himself and to the church and not dishonor the body of Christ. Older men are to be dignified. Now to the second set of three. Older men are to be sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in steadfastness. 
As I said last week, the word sound could be translated healthy. You can see that in a footnote in verse 1 if you have the English Standard Version. It's a word that comes up mostly in the pastoral epistles. In verse 1, Titus is charged to teach what accords with healthy doctrine. And in verse 2, older men are to be healthy in their faith, healthy in their love, and healthy in their steadfastness. Of course, these three really work together, don't they? If faith is healthy, if, if I have ge- a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, and my hope is in the real gospel, then, the, then that faith is going to work itself out in my life through love. I mean, think about it. Why did Jesus say it? How did Jesus say that the world would recognize his disciples? John 13, 35, right? He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see how that works. You, You follow Jesus as his disciple. Your faith is healthy because it is in Christ alone and that faith works itself out in love. Healthy faith leads to healthy love. And of course the implication is that diseased faith leads to diseased love. The, the reason the false teachers were behaving so badly, one of the big themes of this little letter, is because their faith was sick. Their doctrine was sick. And sick doctrine doesn't lead to healthy anything. It certainly doesn't lead to love. And their love was sick. Instead of loving God and loving others, they love themselves. They love their own glory. Paul's already called them out on some of these things. They, 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 they love their own shameful gain. Sick faith and sick love, they go hand in hand. But genuine faith in Christ, true faith, works itself out in love. Healthy faith leads to healthy love. Older men, this is a call for you to be healthy in your faith in Christ and to be real and genuine in your relationships with God and then to be healthy in your love for others. And then third on the list, be healthy in your steadfastness or endurance. The clothing of the gospel that you wear includes being healthy in your endurance with your hope in Christ, even in suffering. Now, I could could teach more about the gospel, that particular gospel clothing item this morning. But instead of teaching about what the gospel looks like when you are suffering, I'm going to leave that for the testimony that we're going to hear today because that's exactly what that is. The hope of the gospel and the adornment of the gospel in suffering. So I'll leave that for a few moments, and you'll hear it in a moment. Now, old men, let me just say something directly to you. Let me ask you to consider if this is the clothing that you wear as a Christian. Have you, have you put off the old clothes, the ones that don't fit anymore, the ones you've outgrown? Selfishness, silliness, bitterness. You have new clothes to wear, Old men, you have a vital role to play in the church. You don't have time to be silly or lazy or carried about by whims or your sinful desires. You have a calling from God. You have a new set of clothes provided by Jesus Christ to put on and wear. Are you wearing them, men? We never retire from the gospel. You never retire from Christian living And old men, I want you to look around you and note the young men that are in this room. They need to see the clothing of grace worn by old men like you so that they will learn how to dress. And old women, 
Look at how Paul describes your clothing. Verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And verse 4 goes on to show what they are to teach. I'm going to leave that for next week since that's Paul's clever way of showing the clothing that the young women in the church should wear. The way that the older women teach the young women. But let's consider the two things in verse 3. Older women are to be reverent and older women are to be teachers of good. Note that the two negative things in the verse, not slanders or slaves to much wine, are the counterpoints to being reverent in behavior. Instead of being loose with their tongues and their morals, they are to be reverent in their behavior. Reverent means holy. It means venerable. It means, and it's a very general word that's a summary of, of, of a life lived in obedience to God and to His Word. The clothing of an old woman, one who has been transformed by the work of Christ, is godliness. It's a lovely bit of clothing. She is to be holy. The word slanders is an interesting word. Uh, the Greek word is diabolos. And maybe you can hear, I mean, maybe you can catch what that word is. It comes with the word devil. It means, it could mean devils. Slander, that's what the devil is, right? But no English translator dared to translate it that way. I'll just note that. There do not be like devils, slanders, or gossips. Paul doesn't mince words. Older women are to be reverent. There there must not be a disconnect from the faith they profess and the way they dress, the, the way they adorn their behavior, the way they use their tongues. I'd love to testify to you of the power of this and the way that I have seen this in many older women in my life, but I, I fear I don't have time to do that. There is a reason that Paul makes very clear why they are to be this way. They are to be teachers of what is good. You see that in verse 4? And so to train young women. You see, we don't just live the Christian life out to ourselves. God has designed it so that in the church, older women, and this is true of older men too, but older women are to teach younger women. And older men are to teach younger men how to dress properly for church. There's an ethos of discipleship all through the pastoral epistles. And you can see it right here. Older women are to be teachers of what is good, training young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and so on. How is a young woman to learn what it looks like to be godly in all her relationships? Godly mom, godly wife, godly woman. In part, in part, according to this verse, she is to learn it from godly older women in the church. And the same way, I think in the same way, old men are to teach younger men what it looks like to be godly men. This is how healthy doctrine works, it out, works itself out in the life of the church. It's called discipleship. And would that there would be an ethos of that kind of discipleship among us, where everywhere older men are teaching younger men, and older women are teaching younger women. And uh, in the church I served before, I, I tried to make it a cliche. I think, I think there needs, everyone needs a Paul and a Timothy in their life. Everyone needs Paul-Timothy relationships, or Paul-Titus relationships, if you would. Paul discipled Timothy. Timothy, learn from Paul. You need a Paul in your life. Or, if you're a woman, you need a Paulina in your life. I need a Paul in my life. 
And I need Timothy's too, because it doesn't end with me. It doesn't end with you. You're called to disciple, and you're called to be discipled. You can see that here, right? And that breaks down when older women simply live for themselves or become bitter or indulge in gossip or other sinful behaviors like addiction to wine or or drugs. If you wear the wrong clothing, older women, then you will only teach younger women how to dress improperly. Older women, you're called to adorn the gospel. Is that your clothing? If you're a woman older than 40, and don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going <laughs> to. You're a woman older than, say, 40, because that's what that word implies, a mature woman. Is this your clothing? I plead with you to take this to heart. You have a divine calling in the church, and it is one that is vital for the life of the church, for the health of the church. Our culture gets aging very, very wrong. Young people look at olders as if they're irrelevant. They don't take the aged seriously anymore, especially in our Western culture. And older people in our culture likely contribute to this. Instead of adorning the doctrine of God, our Savior, many see this last chapter of life as primarily a season of playing. Many have exchanged gospel duds for play clothes. May it not be so among us, the people of God. Now hear me on this. I'm not against the slower pace. We're enjoying things like traveling or golf or cruises. Perhaps God has blessed you in such a way that you can enjoy some of those things. And all good gifts come from God and should be received with thankfulness. But those things are mere gifts. It is not your calling. It is not life. It's not life. And if you treat those things as if they are life itself, you will waste some of your most important years of life nearest to meeting Christ face to face and deprive the church of the blessing that you were meant to be. Brothers and sisters, let us not waste our older years. And young people, what a massive blessing your older brothers and sisters are to you and should be to you. You ought to seek to be discipled by older men and women who have followed Jesus and who wear the clothing of grace, who adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is where we learn to dress. God has done an amazing work in the gospel. If you are in Christ, you have great reason to rejoice this morning. Again, you've been regenerated, you've been reconciled, you've been redeemed, you've been justified, forgiven, united to Christ, united to the body of Christ, given a new family, a new heart, assured of everlasting life. And you enjoy God's presence forever. May we dress like it. That's the challenge. May we dress like it. May we adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And I'm going to pray for us. And then we will hear from Andrew Simmons' mom. And how the Lord has adorned him and his wife and his family with the gospel in suffering. Let's pray. Father, it is a big challenge before us. And it would be absolutely impossible, would it not, was it, if it were not for the grace of God in Christ. Lord, I pray for two things. One, that we would believe the gospel in all of its richness and fullness. All those things I mentioned, that we would believe those things, that we would cling to those things, and that those things would be our hope. 
And Lord, I pray that you would teach us as a church, to continue to teach us as a church, to dress like it. For the glory of God, for the exaltation of Christ in this world, I pray that you would teach us to dress like it. Lord, we pray together as a church for Andrew as he comes and he shares. We pray for freedom. We pray that he would be able to, with clarity, exalt you in the things that he has gone through this year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.